Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast that just doesn't want it to end. I don't want it to end. It just can't end. The season, you guys, I know Cross is here and all that stuff, but. I'm watching the Vuelta, I'm watching the Tour of Britain, I'm watching the mountain bike worlds, everything is so wonderful, the riding is beautiful, everything is great, and I, I know I know, I got a lot of time left in the season, but I don't want it to end, I don't want cold, I, I, I want to do cross, but I don't want, maybe I don't, anyway, I'm supposed to, I don't know why I started the show that way, welcome to the Pack Filler Podcast, I am Pat Bulger, how are you? Unless you couldn't tell, I'm 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 sad. I'm sad of the changing seasons, but I'll be okay. I think I'll be okay. Oh, I gotta mention sponsors at the outset because I promised myself I'd start doing that. You guys know who's helping us out, don't you? Don't you? Get fit for hope, you guys. Check those guys out. They're doing great stuff, and um. Just uh, what a great thing to think about in terms when you're trying to come to grips with your new season and your new goals for next year to try to not only train yourself to get fit, but to get fit for hope and to do something for a reason. All right. I know I'm I'm over romanticizing it, but they're, they're great people and 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 they're really helping things out in terms of doing some great stuff over there. And, you know, and, and I just I, I, I we don't have a huge agreement or anything like that. I'm not getting paid. You guys, I'm just I, I think it's a good company and I think they're doing great things. So go over there and help them out. Also, you guys, Noon Hydration, NoonLife.com. Get hydrated. Get hydrated. It's great stuff. Uh, obviously, noonlife.com, or you can go through packfiller.com and check that stuff out. And lastly, Honey Stinger. I have to thank Honey Stinger because I always thank Honey Stinger. The protein bars are brilliant. If you haven't had them, they're brilliant. Okay, so there we go. Sponsors paid 66 seconds into the podcast, give or take the intro music, which I have not put into the actual broadcast of the show. So there we are. You guys... I have uh, come to a conclusion. I'm cursed. I'm going to tell you guys a quick little story before we get to the podcast. I know you're probably listening to this one and a half times speed just so you can get to the end of it. But um, I'm cursed. When I was a young kid, I I was attacked by bees. No, I really was. Uh, when I was a kid, I was I was on a little hike with some of my friends, and I went down to the, pick up a cookie. I dropped on the ground, and a bunch of I must have stepped on a yellow jacket's nest, 
and those assholes completely swarmed me. I was taken over by yellow jackets. I got stung so many times in my face that it swelled shut the next day. So since then, probably since, yeah, I, I, I'm going to guess I was you know, like 10. So since then, I've had an allergy to bee stings, okay? And um, I'm pretty convinced I went at least 30 plus years without getting stung more than twice. And I'm not, well, you know my age. But within the past two years, I have been stung in the weirdest places. As cyclists, you guys know what this is going on. And I would like to hear from you guys in terms of what's what the deal is with being stung and, and where you've been stung and how often it occurs. And if you think I am an actual magnet to these assholes of the sky, because I, well, I told you guys about the one just after Leadville, I think two years ago, flew into the back of my throat, stung the back of my throat before it died a horrible death. Throat almost swelling shut, um, had to go to the ER. There you go. This last summer, bee flew into my mouth again. I know what you're thinking, Pat. Close your goddamn mouth while you're riding your bike. What do you like a you know, some one of those big ass bass, you know, or something like that. No, my mouth is not that open, but stung me on the tongue this summer out on a ride, had to turn around, come back. Um, and my tongue was the size of a, of a small football within an hour. Thank God I didn't choke on it. Although I did get a Strava KOM for a short amount of time because my wife came out and picked me up. We put the bike on the car. Hint, I, I gave up the K1. And then just yesterday, went out for a ride, had a great ride with a bunch of friends. You know some of them, Paul and CP from the podcast. Went out, had a great ride. And um, today, I mean, Sunday, yesterday, I, was, I went out, went for a ride just to kind of spin the legs. And within the course of a one-hour ride, two bees flew into my jersey. The first one did not sting me, but the second one got me just, just below my throat on my chest, right? Between the pecs, right in the sternum. And it itches like a son of a bitch. And of course, out of paranoia, because I didn't have any EpiPens, I had to turn around and, and ride home. Is this common? Are, are bees this common? Do these type of incidents happen with you guys that often? Please let me know. Because I'm, I'm desperate. I think there is some sort of a plot against me by Mother Nature. I had my 30 years. My luck has ran out. And it's time. It's time to catch up. I guess. It must be. Help me out on this. Okay. We've been talking a lot about gravel riding and gravel racing in past podcasts. And it is time to get a little bit more into that. Because obviously gravel racing has become the new saving grace of the sport, if I might not put it too over the top. So I was fortunate enough to catch up, thanks once again to Karsten Hagen, producer extraordinaire, with the one and only Josh Berry. Uh, Josh has, uh, it, he's basically done everything that requires straddling a top tube, except being on the track. And uh, I got to catch up with him. I got to talk to him about his career on the road, talk to him about his career on the dirt, and talk to him about all the amazing things he's doing in gravel and where he thinks 
gravel cycling is going in the near future. So I think it's going to be big. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Berry on the Pack Filler Podcast. All right, you guys, today's guest definitely fits the definition of what I would call an all-around cyclist. He's raced at the highest levels in cyclocross, road, mountain, and now with his successful foray into gravel racing, grab spots on the podium at the big races, such as the Dirty Kanza and the recent Gravel Worlds. Let's welcome to the show, Josh Berry. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Hey, no problem, man. You know, first off, before I even get into this, dude, I've been doing some research in terms of what you've done and where you've done it and what kind of bikes you've been on. Did I miss any styles in the intro? Uh, I I don't think so. I think that covers it. Mountain, road, cross, gravel. I've kind of ran through most of it, and it's it's really (laughs) nice that uh, I've had some success in all of them as well. No track or BMX in there, right? I started with BMX. You did? I, uh, I did BMX when I was five, and I started, yeah, really young. Uh, my mom was telling the story, but at nationals one year in Canada, because I used to live in Seattle, so I'd go up there and race nationals. Uh, I guess I won one of the like young guy categories, <laughs> but I was really upset because the trophy didn't have the Canadian flag, <laughs> so I traded sixth place for that trophy. <laughs> and she still swears that I'm crazy. I'm going to be a designer because of it. So, um, yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, cycling obviously was some sort of a part of your life even early on. Um, how did how did how did racing come into your life, and where did that whole thing start? My father was a motocross racer, oh. and I was part of a split up family. So I'd visit him, and he wanted me to ride motorcycles, and. We were, of course, starting with bicycles first, and he started with BMX, and I took to the bike right away, and um, we got into BMX racing, and I just was naturally really competitive. So, it, it, yeah. what, and so that just it just grew from there, and then was it immediately into a specific style? I mean, BMX and then going straight to a, a pro road career is a pretty big jump, so what, take us through those steps. Yeah, no, it, it was not like that. I was a military brat, so we followed my dad around quite a bit, and I raced with him, but eventually we stopped following him, and we moved to Los Angeles um, when I was in elementary school still, and I stopped I stopped racing there, and I stopped really doing anything, just got kind of fat, but I'd always ride my bike after school, <laughs> and then stuff went pretty wrong for us. My mom didn't know what to do. And luckily my grandparents had moved to Sun Valley, Idaho and we had visited them. They were educators there. And my mom was in a panic. Like, what do I do? Like, if you could go anywhere, Josh, like, where would you go? And like, Oh, I want to go to Sun Valley. Wow. I had no idea that this would put me on this path, but I showed up in Sun Valley and, you know, my neighbor showed up on, a, or on their mountain bikes. They're like, what's that? I'm like, I don't know, but your bikes are lame. <laughs> so I had my mount or my BMX bike and little did I know a little bit later, I started riding around a bit, but my neighbor was this guy, Billy Olson, and he had a youth mountain bike program and road program in the Valley. And he kind of knew my family situation that we really had no money, but I was playing football and I played football just because I thought that's what guys did. Yeah, oh yeah. And I hated it, but <laughs> After practice every day, I would ride until it was dark. And this guy noticed it. And one day I came home from football practice, and there was a mountain bike in my garage. 
Oh, wow. And he said, if I could work at the camps a bit, um, he'd cover my cost. Really? And through that, I met another guy named Greg Randolph, or Chopper. And he told me that he went to the Olympics for mountain biking. <laughs> and the flip switched. Everything changed right there. I had the right things kind of lined up, and I found mentors, and I started focusing on being a bike racer. So I was about 15, um, well, 14, and I went to, I lost a ton of weight. I quit the football team, joined the cross-country team, oh, man. and I just started doing twice what all the guys training in town were doing, and uh, <laughs> headed to the mountain bike nationals. So was there a point in time that it all of a sudden became, well, you talk about that switch being flipped, but then was that the moment where you're going, this is it, this is what I'm going to do for a living? Um, I had that idea. And when I went to Sea Otter one year, and I was sitting across the table from Nino Scherter and Frank um, and Frisnik, yeah. and like, these guys are incredible. I'm like, wow, I guess I'm, I'm really here because I was 17. I was just a junior and they brought me along on this program yeah. and I was like, wow, like this, this could be it. This could be it. But I was asked a question kind of similar by my girlfriend right now. I was like, oh, I don't know what I want to do. I'm like, no one knows what they want to. <laughs> and I can remember pretty clearly I had been in a wreck in the baby Giro and I had just had my biggest results and I had pro tour contracts on the table and I was in Iraq and I sliced off my patella tendon yeah, um, at kilometer zero of the first day. And I just made it through this horrific uh, altitude camp. And, but I knew I was in the best shape of my life. I'm like, today I'm going to win the Jersey. And my director looked over me and he's like, yeah, you're, you're never going to be pro. Um, as in pro tour. I, uh, I looked at him like, okay, I don't know. Wow. It just really hurts. And when I got home and I was looking around and just looked at like everything I had put myself through to get in that spot, that was the, that was the first time I had realized that I was a professional, that yeah. I was willing to go further without even thinking about it. I just knew that each step was important and that I was going to follow through with it. And Luckily, I had a successful surgery, and I was able to return to good form. Um, but eventually, I had another injury that, once again, kept me from actually racing at the pro tour level. Was was that the the accident, the collision with the truck? Uh no. Oh, I actually had that right away in my career. Because you, by um, the way, you have the most epic crash stories that I've been reading it's like good god you know most people are talking about taking out collarbones or something like that and you know you, you just a kneecap slice truck collisions all those types of things yeah I uh I've been very fortunate and very unfortunate in other ways so yeah. I've been able to keep living my dream but I've had some some really bad accidents my first year pro I was living in Portland and I came home um and I did the I visited somebody just to like grab some snacks and later I woke up in the hospital and I got hit head on by a truck and it was right before my first race. Um, and actually one of my friends on the team who I was supposed to go train with had died earlier in the week. So I like, I flew home just to kind of like figure out like, wow, I'm so 
well, I, I flew home, like just kind of lost. Yeah. And then when I woke up from that accident and I was alive and this other guy, Jorge Alvarado, who's like supporting his family, this awesome guy, amazing talent, like worked so hard. He died. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm so lucky because like wow. my path is so much easier from my perspective because like it is just me. I don't really have to support anyone. I have good support. Um, so that was a, that was another turning point of just further appreciation. Um, and I was really able to move forward from there. Not that, that accident really did suck because it was so long yeah. past and not moving, but yeah, things kept coming up in my career with bad accidents or injuries. Okay, please don't take this as condescending because I'm older than you are. So please don't take it this way. But you're 28, <laughs> you're 28, and you've got a perspective. Just from the first 10 minutes of this interview, you've got a perspective and you, you a kind of a grounded mentality, man. It's like, shit, this, these things you've been through and, and the, the extent your career has gone, I, I don't, there's no question in here. I, I don't have a question. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but, but I'm just, I'm floored by what you're, how you're, you're presenting these, these hardships in your life and how you've gained such perspective coming out of them is, am, am I wrong in this or are you just, are you, are you figuring out what we all need to? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I had a very humbling life, um, before I found cycling, yeah. cycling was a real escape. And then cycling is even more humbling than mm. life. You know, it's going to constantly kick your ass if you're really going for it. And I'm pretty sure I'm only 27. They keep finding oh, me to be 28. Shit, but, sorry. Um, <laughs> that's okay. No, that's okay. I think it's pretty funny. Um, but I thank you for that. And um, I, I'm excited to see where it takes me. And, you know, if I don't go any further, like, it's wow. been it's been a hell of a ride. Wow. So I'll take it. So your your years, I, I'm trying to step this piece this all together. You started out as a mountain bike rider. All of a sudden, the the U23 program takes you overseas. You ride for teams like Le Pont Marseille and 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 organizations like that. Um, crashes and things bring you back to the states, and you and you you raced several years domestically in the pro scene here in the states. Am I correct so far? Yeah. Okay. So while you were here, was there always the other disciplines such as cross and mountain or was road mainly the only focus? Is that the only thing you could focus on? You know, I've been thinking a lot about cross lately. And when I went to Europe with the U23 program to race cross, and I got to do some World Cups and stuff, I actually got a contract for the road um, while I was there. Okay. And I ditched my work, my world championship spot, um, that I'd earned on the trip. And I went straight to pretty much Malibu, California. And I, and I actually didn't look back. Cross, cross is really hard. I really love it, but man, what those guys have to put up with, like I had to run my own team, carry all those bikes around. I luckily had the Butler, Sue Butler racing at the time. She helped me so much. I got to travel with her, but it was so much work. So when I showed up to a road camp, I said, see if I could cross and <laughs> I might show up for a Portland cross race as like the best party that there is. Yeah. Um, but I didn't pursue that anymore. And I, I would train, well, 
the gravel thing kind of connects to this. There's yeah. a, a bike company at home called Alliance. They did custom bikes. And I'd, I'd have to tell this guy and be like, dude, I, I live in Sun Valley. The roads suck. I really want to, like, ride trails, but I need to practice on my road bike. So we need to make this, like, ugly bike that fits bigger tires but has drop bars. Um, so I, I was doing a lot of that. So that could be considered cross. Yeah. Um, and I would jump into mountain any time I got a chance. So I got fourth at Marathon Nationals one year, and I like had literally put the bike together the week before, got like two rides on it, and luckily Nationals were in Sun Valley while I was staying there. Um, but my main thing is always I wanted to be a mountain biker. Really? And I did well as a junior, but my team, which was Scott when I was done, you know, the U.S. funding went to triathlon. And there just wasn't really a spot for me. And the same with my good friend, Rob Squire. He was the guy beating me at most of the races. Um, he won nationals and I was second at most of like the events. And, um, but neither of us got jobs. And then we both ended up on Garmin and, um, the U23 program on the road. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why when I, I quit road racing last year, you know, I took, some time off and I'm like, you know, I need to ride the mountain bike again. And it's been a journey. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, it, it seems to be working out pretty damn well, man. So tell me about this for, okay, you started off just kind of as a, tra- as a training thing and did, was there a given point in time or was just gravel, just kind of a natural foray to go into? Uh, I mean, I'm not really sure where the the turn happened. Okay. For me, the only time I accepted gravel was after Dirty Kansas this year. Actually, when I showed up to Dirty Kansas this year. Um, but before that, you know, I I just had that combination of like being a domestique on the road. So I was yeah. I was comfortable with riding the front and like every pull feeling like that was it. And then mountain biking, you know, I could go through a rock garden and, you know, be really light on my bike. And then with cross, I was comfortable with, you know, sliding around a corner. <laughs> and um, there are some, you know, there's guys stronger than me than all of it. Uh, but putting it all together and being smart and patient and, you know, being experienced enough to know that, like, drafting sounds nice. But <laughs> this guy is going to hit a rock drafting. Yeah. And I'm not. Um, so I did the Belgian waffle ride. Yeah. And that turned out to be a really big win for me. And it got a lot of press. And uh, it was a really great challenge. And I was really excited by that event because, you know, growing up in Sun Valley, a beautiful place, a great mountain biking place. But riding a road bike, it's pretty pretty few and far yeah. between for roads. So I just naturally rode a road bike off road often. Wow. Um, and that really helped me develop skills that just some people don't for a lot. So of, I can, yeah. yeah, for the, for a lot of people who are new to gravel, I mean, the first of all, it's, it's exploding. I mean, the popularity is just going out of control and I have a lot of theories as to what that might happen. But again, 
their theories. You you are in the in the thick of it at the at the elite level of what's going on around here. Um, how I I don't I know this is a generic question, but but what's the scene like, and why do you think? What do you equate to the fact that it's growing so much in popularity? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, I, I can really start personally for me the the attitude of the promoters and the attitude of the people participating in these events yeah. are so far away from road and mountain biking. Really? And it is just, it is, it's fun. We're there for fun and like that we all start the race together and we do the same course. It's so exciting. I get to get on a plane and sit next to a guy that did the race that I did in 10 hours and 50 minutes. He did it in 22 hours and yeah. 20 minutes. And we can both look at each other in awe and just think like, dude, you're awesome. No, you're awesome, man. Wow. Like, that's a huge event. And to, there's just this camaraderie in this challenge in this like different scene that we haven't been a part of that really brings like triathletes, mountain bikers and road riders all together. And I mean, the other biggest factor, um, is the roads people people are not as happy being on the road as they used to be because drivers are being more of an issue and um luckily i spent a lot of time in a rural place but you know i notice on my rides like i I grab my mountain bike more often because i can avoid roads and jump through neighborhoods and office buildings and stuff (laughs) and you know avoid the main thoroughways and uh you know i think people do that a lot and they don't want to feel like they have to go do sprints around town and risk it on cars when, you know, we all want to come home to our families and come home to our dog or whatever it is. There's there's always something more than riding a bike. it seems like the primary format of this style of riding right now is is what you're saying. It's these incredibly long, a lot of climbing, um, you know, pretty brutal not brutal roads, but you know, a lot of lot of washboards and stuff like that um is that the case are you are you seeing any different styles of of races popping up is there a gravel style of circuit race or crit or crit racing coming up that you do you do you see that headed in the sport i mean this last weekend with rebecca's private idaho we had the queen stage race yeah and the first stage we rode mountain bike trails at galena lodge which some of the trails used to be like old world cup mountain bike course really and with new stuff cut into it so there's berms and jumps and stuff on it now on top of like the the double track the you know tomac used to race on yeah and i hope that more stuff like that will happen where we'll do these kind of double track climbs and jump into more you know smooth but 
slightly more technical single track because you know these bikes that these companies are building are amazing like the bike i have i'm like oh it's a gravel bike like i'm so worried how it's going to be on these trails well it was awesome because a cross bike you know the it's it's too fast turning so on the gravel bike i could hit the jump and do the berm because it has more of that slack geometry and i think more and more people are going to get more comfortable on these bikes and they're going to look you know they're going to look for something more than a a 200 mile gravel road across the plain. It's going to be like, let's see how far we can take this. Thing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a hell of a commitment. A 200 mile, you know, that's, you can't just go, Oh, I'm a weekend warrior. I'm going to go out and try this out or something like that. Um, where, yeah, for sure. where do you see road and mountain? Is this, is, are, are we evolving into a new, I mean, I, I, I always talk about on the show about, what, that road racing needs to innovate or die because we're running into all these situations that the sport is, is, is hitting that are stumbling blocks. Um, are, is this where we're headed in your opinion? Is this where the sport's going? Um, I, I hope not. Yeah. I, I really like that gravel is more of a working class thing that all of these races and all of these people have jobs and other commitments like i'm in school full-time i'm running my own kind of media thing trying to make money on the side and i'm coaching and i'm riding and it's it's busy but these other guys like i mean dan hughes has a bike shop and it's busy and he's on Kansas four times and it's it'd be really cool if it stayed more of a a working class kind of thing i would love to see road except that shorter stages are more exciting or except that if you're going to do a long day, we're going to cover some part and have a circuit at the end or, you know, things really do need a change. And I'm, I'm so bummed to see, you know, I know four teams that are folding this year, continental level. Some of them people don't know about yet. And it's, it's really sad because like Jelly Belly was a huge, savior for me like i really found love for the sport again there and you know there's going to people be people that don't have that opportunity and with mountain you know i got to do some of the circuit this year and these epic rides those are the future because you have these amateur and pro races happening on simultaneous weekends and cool places with stuff to do like for everyone else it's vacation and they get to do a sweet ass ride and the pros are excited too because we get big prize money we give you the same sweet ass ride, but we get a race over it. And at least for me, that's what I love is the competition. So I think mountain biking is going to make a really strong comeback. Um, the NICA program is amazing. Yeah. I've been coaching a ton of kids with that. And that's, that's going to be huge. We're going to see the future champions from America. Thanks to those NICA programs. Wow. I mean, if anybody has ever seen Chris Blevins ride a bike, you should know that America is going to be in good hands in the future. Um, <laughs> as long as we keep pushing mountain biking and push yeah. and not really pushing the kids to do BMX, like say like BMX is fun, go yeah. do it. You could become the best road racer, cross racer and the best mountain biker yeah. like Chris. Well, what, um, what you're talking about there too. And, and that sounds exactly like you mentioned John Tomac in those, in those days. And, and this is, I'm going to age myself, but the, I was, I was watching those races in those days. And that's what mountain biking reminded me of this, uh, this atmosphere you're talking about with, 
currently with gravel. It's this it's this party atmosphere. You know, it doesn't have to be a party atmosphere, but it's a it's everybody's there. Families are there. It's a common area that everybody seems to be just gathering around and having a great time. And and everybody's accessible. I remember once talking, sitting down and having a beer with Larry Longo, who's the announcer who I was working with, and um, Roland Green, current world champion. And we're sitting at a pizza place, and, and Larry asked him, why haven't you gone pro on the road? He says, because I can sit here and have a pizza and a beer after a race, and, and I, I, I'm still making a living as a bike racer. And, and that's, it seems like that's what Gravel's kind of holding on to right now. Yeah, and I, I've, I've definitely heard a lot of flack from being a road racer um, about those issues. And I... And I, I've had a lot of my own issues within gravel with stuff that is too road or too professional or whatever right. it is. But I mean, all I can do is lead by example and hope that it does stay like that. Because just like you're saying, I, w- I would love it to be that way. Like, I, I mean, I flew into Kansas this year and had beers with guys in Kansas before the race, had a great time just meeting beautiful people, just having the greatest experience. And then I woke up and Got to ride my bike in the rain to the start, and <laughs> hug my friends, stay warm, and then we just got to go race. And like, man, 200 miles, I think wow. that's insane. Jesus. But instead, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to attack with 100 miles and <laughs> see where it all falls apart. <laughs> well, t- talk to me about that that element of it. I, I saw a post-race interview with you after Kansas, and you talked about uh, preserving your tires was a tactic idea during the race, you know, and I'm assuming that's, you know, picking where you're riding in the road. And, and you talked earlier in this interview about, about the drafting element and should you use it or should you not use it. Is there a trick or a tactic to gravel racing that's different from other styles? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't want to give away all my secrets. No, but, no, I mean, no. A big no. one. And I had a I had a girl this weekend who I, who I really care about, but she was really whining about flatting three times. Yeah. And the girl that beat her, my teammate, was right next to her. I'm like, you're being such a, a roadie, really, and like <laughs> inappropriate because like that is this whole race. Yeah. You know, you gotta go out there and you yeah, you should probably draft to save some energy, but if you're sitting right behind someone, just like in Paris-Roubaix, that's why Tom Bonin goes to the front in the cobble sections. You've got to see where the line is and make that sacrifice and strength to keep your tires on your bike. Um, and I remember talking with Payson, uh, McKelvin, I think yeah. I'm saying it wrong, but with Payson, really nice dude. I was talking to him, he was like, oh, how'd it happen last time? And I'm like, oh yeah, when I won in 2014, I was getting drops from the group, but everybody was trying to pace off each other, so they all just kept hitting the same rocks and flatting. So then the group shrunk, and I still was just behind not hitting the rocks. And I was on a road bike while everybody else was on a gravel bike, so I, I was super observant to not hit anything, and that's how I learned by accident of just watching these guys on like perfect, beautiful bikes and me just on not the ideal bike, but I was just so conservative with what I was hitting that it would pay off. Wow. Um, so I think that's, that's a big thing that a lot of people underestimate. Does, does team tactics play into it or is, are we leaning more towards some of the mountain bike elements where a cross country race is, is kind of more of a you against everybody else? 
I think it depends on what gravel event you're doing. Really? And team tactics can always be a factor if they have enough guys. Um, racing against the pan racer guys is difficult because they have a good crew of people that can stay on their bike and keep riding. Um, and there's the meteor team that has a, like only three guys, but three really great guys. And, um, it, it becomes a big factor at gravel worlds. I really had to, to ride hard to chase some of those guys. And, um, in Kansas, I had to take advantage of the fact that the guys with teams, because, you know, we came out of one of the feeds and, um, two of the guys with big teams were isolated and they thought for some reason I was on Ted King on Ted King's team okay. because I was a part of like creating this Jersey that we all wore. <laughs> and, um, we weren't teammates at all, but you know, we had trained together before it. So like, I wasn't going to chase him, but they looked at me and they're like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. They're <laughs> like, Oh, and they just said like, Oh, it's his teammate. I'm like, sure. It's my teammate. Yeah. Keep <laughs> riding. And, um, so I, I've used the aspect and I've had the aspect used against me. Yeah. Um, but I think that a lot of these races are still long enough. And I think that gravel makes it hard enough to draft that, you know, it's still possible to be a lone rider and win these big events. Wow. Um, the more difficult they get, like that first day of the queen stage race, you know, the teammate was no use. Yeah. If you could make it up the steep hills on the mountain bike trails and like clear the jumps to make the berms, then you've got a bunch of time. Wow. So, okay. Okay. Um, I hope that answers your question. No, it does. It does. Uh, you know, I, okay. I, I wanted more secrets cause I suck at this stuff, but you know, but I, I, I I'll, <laughs> I'll have to figure them out myself. So I, I don't want to be depressing here, but, um, is there something, this sounds like a, you know, a Renaissance to, to cycling and, um, what could potentially kill it in your opinion? Is it, is it USAC control where they regulate the shit out of it? Or is it, uh, you know, it becomes so popular. It's the next triathlon, not to pick on triathletes, but, uh, is there something that could kill it? That's a, that's a tough question to answer. I think there, there are so many things that can kill it. And all we can do is hope that these guys that were crazy enough to sit around the bike shop and say like, Hey, let's, let's race 200 miles around Kansas <laughs> like, next Thursday. You know, those people, they're still going to be around and there's going to be new stuff. We can't, we can't look at a sport and be like cyclocross is the best thing in the world. You know, going to Gloucester for a cross race and watching Tim Johnson go through a corner, that is incredible. Yeah. Going to Durango and seeing Blevins ride a BMX track on a mountain bike, absolutely incredible. Going to, you know, a crit in LA and watching those guys like go really fast around that. Like we got to just let them be their own thing. Okay. And, um, Go out and enjoy it all, because that's that's really what I've liked. I I love the crit race. I probably love the crit race the most. Really, and I love riding my mountain bike as the next thing. And then, you know, it's just all over the place. But it's it's really fun to yeah. mix it all up. And I hope that you know, with USA Cycling being brought up, I hope that more funding goes to cross the mountain, because you know, all the young road guys kind of quit 
and I was out cross racing and mountain biking and I became, you know, a top U23 road guy. And I had a really great opportunity with that program on the road. And I think, well, I hope that they see that that might be a better way for kids to get into it, especially with this NICA yeah. thing going on. Like yeah. NICA is huge. Let's let them ride their mountain bike like crazy. And then someday, like me, they'll be watching, you know, I watch the tour of Georgia and I watch Jessica Bush getting dropped yeah. by all these roadies on the climbs. I'm like, wait, I want to be the best. I guess I should go ride my road bike because yeah. these guys are stronger than Jeff. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So, so speaking of this, you know, now that I find out I got your age wrong by a year, you know, what, where are your plans? <laughs> where, what are your directions? Where do you see all this headed for you? That's a, that's a tough one. And that, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I quit road because I had no balance and mm-hmm. I knew the road scene was really falling apart. And I, I knew I wasn't going to go back to Europe and if I couldn't race to the top level, then I was done. And I'm in art school now. I, I want to curate art. I want to create my own work and I want to coach as well. Okay. But with gravel, I mean, at the start of this year, I started mountain biking again, and my goal was to be on the giant factory off-road team. And my first mountain bike races went terribly. You know, no points starting in the back. It's brutal, as it should be, because those guys at the front really worked hard for it. I, But I'm on the team now, which is awesome, and my test kits for 2019 are coming up, so sounds like my contract is getting worked on, and being finalized so hopefully i'll be with giant off-road next year and ideally i'll get to balance my artwork with this full time i'd like to do the epic rides some of the cross countries that are in the u.s for mountain biking um but my number one focus because i'm hooked is dirty kansas there's something about that atmosphere out there that it is enthralling it's overwhelming it's it's something really special and uh the people there and the environment and the atmosphere of everybody that's going out there to really push themselves has really made something so so that's my big goal you know i don't care what happens with any team or sponsors or whatever i'm gonna go back to kansas and do my best and if i have the opportunity to do what i also want to do is mountain bike then I'm going to do that because this year I prepared for mountain biking during all school year. Then I went to altitude and started doing volume again, and it worked out really well for me in Kansas. So right on. I'm not going to change that program. This has nothing to do with cycling, but I you're t- you're t- I'm talking to another guy who studied fine arts in college. I I currently teach theater arts in in, in the high school level, so I got to ask about what kind of art you do. Cool, man kind of funny right now i'm doing a lot of ceramics i uh i kind of signed up for ceramics it's just like oh yeah whatever (laughs) Uh, but i i love getting physical with what i'm creating and um to use the wheel and spin and manipulate all of it and you know create something and then in the end it's not really even close to what you want it because the glazes are going to change with you know 10,000 degrees of heat going across it and all these little things like i love some reason I love the challenge and all the details in the process that make it. Um, so I, I really enjoy that. But like today I spent six hours in the studio 
drawing um, and doing ink for design. So I, uh, I'm hoping to learn about. Is, is cycling an, is cycling an influence? Do you ever do anything related to the, to the sport? I mean, I'm not saying I'm, you know, I can't really do anything. It's not like I'm directing, breaking away the sequel or something like that. Yeah. I, um, I think I can really utilize some of the emotions that I get out of it or, you know, kind of the relief that I can get out of it, but nothing directly. Like you're never going to see a cog set in a piece of my art. It's definitely for balance. Um, But I really hope that, you know, that amazing community that cycling has given me will also, you know, bleed into the art community and help me take that further. Can it be seen anywhere, like online or Instagram or something like that? Oh, I'm I'm pretty ruthless. I don't I don't have much <laughs> creations. If you're uh, if you're a lucky lady, you have something that I have created. Um, but no, not not yet. Oh, I yeah. I destroy a lot of my work because I'm Dude. I'm fortunate at the school that I'm in. Uh, I don't have to pay for any of the clay, so I'm pretty ruthless in. Uh, destroying my pieces oh come on you gotta keep so that even uh, if, what i like even if you never show them to anybody you gotta keep them to show that progress you know i you gotta be able to say holy yeah. shit here i was year one and here i am now look at that growth you can't break that <laughs> stuff <laughs> oh i do have two really terrible pieces stored at uh, the house in sun valley good so my teammates got to see it and that was pretty entertaining but um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, my Instagram at Joshua Raspberry. I definitely, uh, I definitely post in my story pretty often of myself in the studio making a mess <laughs> and uh, show some of my pieces. But right on. And you talked about the media. Uh, yeah, you talked about the media thing. What is what is that all about? Or do you, you don't have to share if it's something you don't wanna. But oh uh, no, absolutely. The media thing. I, I got to work with uh, this clothing company, Velocio, this year, and. I really enjoyed taking photos with them and I've worked with some other I guess, influencers on Instagram and took, media, uh, took pictures for them. And I, I love photography. My ideal format is photography. I want to go to a creative yeah. photography program at the University of Arizona. And um, so I'm, I'm hoping to get more jobs to be in photos and really to um, take photos and mainly kind of media. So right now I'm working with kind of a face wash and, uh, yeah, I have to figure out a good way to be, you know, genuine and how I use it and capture it in a way that's not, you know, holding up a cloth to a camera. Yeah. Um, And I kind of like that because, you know, that's a big way that my generation consumes media and has been influenced to buy something and, um, it's something I think about, so I might as well monetize on it and go further. Yeah. Well, coming from somebody who just 10 minutes ago was telling me about the fact it's like, well, if somebody tells you you can't do it, well, damn it, I'm going to be I'm going to be a pro, I'm going to be the best. So, you know, I guess we it's, <laughs> it, it it sounds like it sounds like you're on the right path, man. You got the right mentality for it and and that's that's cool. And I I I love hearing the fact that you can race at these elite levels and still have these other uh, you know, pokers in the fire for lack of a better metaphor. And so, um, 
That's cool. That's that's I'm really jazzed to hear this. So I have to I have to ask this as it's kind of my new hang up here. Um, and and you sound like you've you've been around and you have a soft spot in your heart for for Kanza and and stuff like that. But is there a place that you consider the best region, county, town, or something like that to ever ride your bike? Oh yeah, that's that's pretty easy. The oh. Northwest. Oh, the U.S. Yes, I uh, Idaho somehow is in there, so that's a great bonus. But <laughs> and I graduated high school, and I packed my little Honda CRV full of my stuff. And I moved to Portland, Oregon. And man, that was my my literature teacher actually told me he's like, dude, don't don't go to school. Like, you want to be a bike racer, and you always write about how amazing Portland is. Like, just go out there and do it. Wow. And I did, and I I love. Oregon, and I love Washington. I was born in Washington initially, in the Cascade, the Bend, and just, oh man, the Northwest with those volcanoes, just, there's so much to it. I really think that's my favorite. Oh, God. You have no idea how happy you just made me with that answer. <laughs> well, well, Josh, um, I I love seeing the growth of a style of cycling that, that harkens back to the the beginning of of when road cycling was created road cycling in my opinion was created as somebody said it once you know the first bike was invented on a monday the second bike was invented on a wednesday and the first race was on a thursday probably and and i just i i miss what is it is about cycling that that is that grassroots it's friends it's people having a good time and hurting like crazy and gravel seems to be that thing and and i like hearing guys like with your perspective in the sport being some of the front runners of of, of representation of that sport so keep going man <laughs> thank you yeah it's, it's exciting and i enjoy it yeah no i appreciate your time and thanks for being on the show Anytime. I'll be back. Thanks. So there you are. Josh Berry. Pretty well-grounded guy. It, 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 I, I like hearing from cyclists who have, I don't know, is it a realistic take on things when you actually have a career outside of the sport and you're actually pursuing other things and cycling isn't the only thing that eggs are all being placed in that basket and that he's still competitive at such a high level? Um I, I don't know if grounded is the word. He's still pretty young, but uh, and I don't want that to sound condescending because it's not. Um, the guy is wise beyond his years. It just seems like that from my perspective. So um, it's going to be fun kind of following where, where Joss's career continues from this point, whether it be on the bike or whether it be in the arts. You know, you got me there, right? Hey, you guys, uh, this has been another episode. I, I do have to mention, now that we're talking about all this gravel stuff, I got to applaud some local people here in Spokane, Washington, who are trying to put on and create new events. Um, the they, I, I'm not sure I 100% am up to the title of the race yet, but the Dirty Spokanza, <laughs> get it, is, is happening pretty soon. And I applaud those guys for putting that type of an event together to try to create more different styles of races. So I guess I shouldn't be critical at all of what the hell they try to name it. They could call it the Fart Patrol. And it would probably still be the fact that it is a new race that is happening and people are trying to, to bring cycling to different 
I don't know, it isn't the normal races anymore. It's not the same races we've all been competing in year after year. And that's what's so important, in my opinion, about growing the sport, about taking it not necessarily in new directions, but in creative ways to encourage people to get out there and be a part of the sport. There you are, Pat Bulger, off soapbox. Go get him, dirty Spokanza guys. I don't know if I'm going to do it. The course looked way too fucking brutal, brutal to be honest. I saw some footage of it. <laughs> it looked more like a death march. But there you are. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. All those sorts of things. And if my audio sounds weird, it's because I'm talking directly into the computer this time. I was too late to get an audio mic hooked up and all that sort of stuff, but I already got another podcast in the can. We'll have one coming to you, hopefully, as many Mondays as possible. Big thanks to Carson Hagen, producer extraordinaire, for making this interview happen. Talk to you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.